folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, if you're thinking about listing your home, I know exactly who you need to connect with. Nick and Josh from Victory Home Team. They will guide you through the listing process with a hands-on approach where they walk through every single listing and add their personal touch. They're not going to put you through some robotic, cookie-cutter process. Selling your home is too important for that. Josh and Nick, who are two of the biggest purple and gold football fans I know, use innovative marketing strategies to increase visibility and make sure your house gets seen by potential buyers. And when the time comes, they can close the deal with their proven negotiation strategies. Just ask Purple Insider producer Jeremy Rushing, who worked with Victory Home Team. Hi, this is Jeremy, producer at Purple Insider, and my fiance and I actually used Nick and Victory Home Team to purchase our forever home just this past winter, and we can't recommend them enough. We were selling and buying in this scenario, and the process was so smooth, we actually had four showings and two offers on our townhome just in its first day on the market. So if you're looking to buy a new home, looking to sell yours, maybe just like us, you're doing both in the same process, that can be so stressful, but Victory Home Team takes that stress off your shoulders and just makes the whole situation incredibly easy to handle let my football loving friends victory home team list your house today visit victoryhometeam.com to check out how great their listings look and their seller's guide that's victory home team number one in real estate in the twin cities and if you mention you heard about them on this show they will give you a special purple and gold discount all right let's get into the show Welcome to another episode of Purple Insiders, specifically the Chris Trapasso draft show that we're doing every Monday all the way through draft season presented by Victory Home Team. If you are interested in listing your home, make sure you check out Victory Home Team. What is up, Chris? We are getting closer and closer and more and more ridiculous with reports and with opinions and everything else. It's, it's, it's been, I'm, I'm not going to say relative to real life. It's been tough, but I mean, just in terms of football analysis life, it's been tough. I have a question. Is the Mac Jones to the 49ers speculation just not going to die until they're literally, they send in their pick. Because it felt like, okay, they make the trade up, people connect the dots, you know, he's a a Kyle Shanahan-type quarterback. But this was a month out from the draft, five weeks out. It's still raging on, and I'm like, man, we're getting close to two weeks away. That is, like, the biggest thing where I'm like, this needs to go away. Like, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to do my final mock draft in two weeks uh, that – People will say, like, I, I didn't do a good job with my mock draft because if I only get three or four guys right, I don't care. But really, for me, I, I'm excited beyond all that ridiculous speculation and mock draft stuff to be done like with my top 250 and have all those grades finalized and send that in right before the draft, see it on the site, and then just be able to refer to that during the draft and then afterward any post-draft stuff. So I, I'm excited, but I do want the Mac Jones speculation to go away. I mean, personally, I think the only way to look at whether a draft analyst is good at telling you about hundreds of players in detail is how many picks they get right on draft night in their last mock draft. I mean, that's the only (laughs) way 
So I, I'm sorry. We were going to go, Chris, like past the draft for a couple weeks to analyze and break everything down. But, I mean, if you don't get at least half of them right, I think we'll just probably cancel that. Um, yeah, I'll get a lot of questions from my family. Like, how did your mock draft do? Like, my job hinges on that. And I'm like, two years ago, I think I got like seven right. And I was like blown away. And last year I got like four. And I'm like, that's stupid anyway. Daniel Jeremiah gets like eight. And it's like an amazing Mock draft. I, I, I mean, I'll try to get as many right as possible, but that is like the least of the things I care about, especially that close to draft weekend. And with all the stuff that teams put out to reporters mm-hmm. and everything else, uh, I saw a tweet from Greg Gabriel, who has his problems on Twitter sometimes, but he, he does work for an NFL team. And he was talking about how he would apologize after draft season for all the lies that he told to people during draft season about what his team wanted. And I totally believe Greg when he comes to that. Uh, to your point about Mac Jones, this is good right here. This is from NBC Sports 49ers, I guess maybe in the Bay Area. Um, Adam Schefter tells whoever their host, he believes the 49ers prefer Mac Jones for now, but are keeping quote an open mind with the number three overall pick. You know what I would be willing to bet my entire house and cars on is that they're not keeping an open mind about the number three overall pick. I would put everything on. <laughs> they already know exactly what they're doing for the number three pick. They did not sell their entire future, Chris, to be open to whatever could happen. The only way to interpret that would be maybe uh, they're saying if someone else falls to them at three that they would take, let's say, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields if they're not taking number two. But I just am very, very sure they're not open-minded about this thing after giving up as much as they did to number three. That's incredible. Yeah, definitely not. And that encapsulates why no one should take anything that they read on Twitter or hear on the radio seriously in terms of a draft rumor. If that's what Adam Schefter is reporting, the most plugged in insider, then it's just completely foolish to like put any stock into any of these things. The 49ers know exactly who they're taking. We know the Jets are picking Zach Wilson. Kyle Shanahan knows that. John Lynch knows that. But let's move past that. I just want that to be done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I feel like we probably will, again, all the way up until number three overall. And and I would actually bet a fair amount of money that Mac Jones won't be the pick there. But hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll never have to talk about it again. <laughs> I feel the same way. So here's what is first on the docket today for you. And we're going to talk about a couple articles that you write uh, wrote that are really excellent topics, I think, for the show. But I have to have you analyze my mock first. All right, so I did a draft simulation for the Vikings, and here's what came up, and this is why I was so excited to bring this up right away and not wait till the end. Trey Lance is who I took at 14, and then Trey Smith, so Trey season, in the third round, and then Cameron Sample, but who cares about those? If Trey Lance is on the board at 14, would the Minnesota Vikings take him? Should the Minnesota Vikings take him? What are the chances that this could happen the way that the draft simulator laid it out for me with Trey Lance available? Well, I think um, with the Panthers trading for Sam Darnold, it probably eliminates them from a quarterback. I know, I mean, speaking of draft rumors, we've heard that that trade hasn't taken them out of the quarterback market. I think it does. They're not going to pick a quarterback at eight. They need other, uh, like, offensive linemen, they need defense, that increases the chances. And really, if Mac Jones stunningly becomes a number three overall pick, Trey Lance could be the guy that falls. And, I mean, you could probably tell me if you think the Vikings would actually do it. I can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should. Early on in a podcast, I think in late January, early February, when I don't think people thought, even Zach Wilson could go as high as he ultimately will. And certainly Trey Lance were like Trey Lance to the Vikings at 14. That seems like around where he's maybe going to be picked and would be the ideal situation for him to learn from a Kirk Cousins type, the mobility for the play action bootlegs, the gigantic arm, uh, the rawness, let him, and you would definitely get a red shirt season. I think if he landed like with the Panthers pre Sam Darnold trade, there would have been a push halfway through the season. Teddy Bridgewater get out there, Trey Lance is in. Too early for him. With Kirk Cousins, his contract, 
the high floor that he presents, you would really be in a similar Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes type of red shirt scenario. And that is what I think will be the best for Trey Lance. I don't think all these young quarterbacks need a full season, and it's rare that it happens. Mahomes needed it, and it's funny to look back. We're like, oh, he was this amazing prospect. Everyone loved him. He wins the MVP in his first year as a full-time starter, but I don't know if things would have gone as well in terms of his development if he was just thrust onto the field right away. He was very reckless and not crazy accurate at Texas Tech. That's why he was kind of viewed as a boomer bust prospect and why on a good Chiefs team that maybe could have been better if they had a higher caliber quarterback in terms of his physical ability, he sat for a full season. So the Vikings need defensive line. They need offensive line. They need maybe a linebacker. They could go corner. They could go wide receiver. If Trey Lance is there at 14 and he is the quarterback who falls, they need to jump all over that. I think from the Vikings perspective, the owners of the Vikings have put a lot of money into very little success compared to their expectations with Kirk Cousins. Now, if Kirk Cousins had been Washington Kirk Cousins, where he was someone that you drafted in the fourth round and then he made your team relevant and you sort of built up with him and then had to make a decision, I think you would look at this through a different lens. But he took over a team that Case Keenum had gone to the NFC Championship with and the expectations were pushed up to getting back to that level. And the fact that they have one playoff win in three years and last year I mean you're talking about a seven and nine season where the offense was good but it wasn't great and they start one and five at one point he leads the the league in interceptions and each one of these years if you take his game logs and you analyze them you see oh look a section of cold play that really hurt you and then a hot section of play when you got to go against the Lions a couple of times or something and he wins player of the month and everyone's talking about how good he was in the last eight games well the last time I checked that there's 16 game seasons so uh, I think that if you're at the very very top of this organization organization you're frustrated by how much money has been poured into him and you might be interested in giving it one last shot and if it works out and you go to the NFC championship or you go to the Super Bowl well then you consider an extension and you probably give Cousins an extension because he proved he could do that but if you end up eight nine this year or nine and eight again and you get a lot of the exact same you're going to want to have another option in the way that his contract sets up Chris I just think is perfect for exactly what you laid out and here's the ancillary bonus of taking a guy now because I can just hear people saying but don't they need offensive line don't they need defensive line that is true but if you have Cousins still under contract going into 2022 you can trade him the same way that Kansas City traded away Alex Smith the same way that Matt Stafford was traded away to the Los Angeles Rams you can trade him away and what you get in return is a bunch of cap space huge Probably a first-round pick. I would almost guarantee mm-hmm. a first-round pick. And, and so you can recoup these things. So you can use the money that you get from Cousins to build around Trey Lance. I, I mean, it's one of those things that if one of the top five quarterbacks is on the board at 14 and the Vikings don't do it, it's one that we'll go back to constantly of how did you not do that in this situation with the way Kirk's contract is set up? And if he's great, you can always just keep him and stick with Kirk. I have another question for you. With the Vikings having 11 picks, what are the chances that you think that they could move up a few picks if Trey Lance is there at 10 or 11 and you have to throw like a fourth rounder to a team or a third rounder? I think they're in a position where they don't have to fall into this miracle scenario of Trey Lance getting all the way to 14 one pick ahead of the Patriots that you feel like the Patriots would jump on that all day. I think if Trey Lance is the guy, or maybe even if Justin Fields, but for the sake of your draft sim, if Trey Lance is that quarterback that's there 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, the Vikings, to me, again, as a draft analyst, I would say throw him a third-round pick or a third and a fifth and get Trey Lance for all those reasons that you just pointed out. For short term, not not as much because you have Kirk Cousins, but for the long term, it is a good investment. And like you're mentioning, it is a cheaper 
investment where you can rebuild that team on offense and defense. And by the way, we talked about this, but offensive line and defensive line, defensive ends specifically, are the positions that take the longest to develop to make an impact. So if you're talking about, oh, you need a defensive lineman this year, so you have to draft one and can't draft a quarterback or a tackle and you can't draft a quarterback, well, the likelihood that that tackle is good right away for this year anyway is pretty low. And all the offensive linemen they've drafted recently have not been good right away. Uh, so that just put that aside. But the question for me, Chris, would be, and, and you're right, that the teams ahead of them look like they have their quarterbacks or are not in a position to take one. Like Philly, they have so much to rebuild that this is not a great situation to take a quarterback right now. I would advocate it for almost everyone, but I think that's how they see it. The Giants want to give Daniel Jones more time. Carolina is, is a you know, seemingly set. Dallas is definitely set with their quarterback. They just paid him a gajillion dollars. So they could do that. Yes. And they have been stacking draft capital for years and taking a bunch of guys in the fourth, taking a bunch of guys in the fifth. Well, can you use some of that to be able to move up now? How much they want to do? I don't know. Like would they dip into next year to a second round pick or something? That's where it gets a little dodgy, especially with pressure. And this is where the only holdup is for me for this scenario is the pressure that's on Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. I, I mean, now you could look at this two ways. Uh, and, and you, since you covered the whole league, tell me which one is more likely in your opinion, if you're Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, and you want to point the finger at Cousins and say, hey, we did a lot of things right. That guy just didn't get over the hump. What we really need is another quarterback. That's what we really need to get us over the hump. We can do it. It's actually his fault. That's one way to look at it, to try and sell. We get to stay for the future. The other way to look at it is, no, we actually need that edge rusher to pressure the quarterback right now. And if we don't get that, we're going to get fired. So I don't know where that stands, but I think that that might be the determining factor of whether they would do this or not. I think still in today's NFL, unfortunately, for as much as I want this scenario to happen that you had in your draft sim for the Vikings to land Trey Lance, it does seem like scenario two is more likely that they would, even if they drafted Trey Lance, if he never played or he played the last game of the season, like Patrick Mahomes did, a meaningless game, the Vikings didn't make the playoffs. They're kind of on their last limb. Most scenarios, if you look back, and I don't know if there's any – um, example where this isn't the case, they'll probably get fired. And then Trey Lance is like onto his new head coach that has no ties to him, that might not have liked him. It's not the best situation. I know in Chicago, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were retained, but there wasn't a quarterback waiting in the wings there in Chicago. So I think in theory, you would be able to sell that to ownership. Like, hey, we have this young quarterback we're really excited about. Let's move on from Kirk Cousins. Let's start a new era with him. But I think a lot of times, especially two or three years of downturn in play and an expensive quarterback who's aging, an ownership or an, an ownership group or an owner will say, we need a new head coach in here. We got the guys. So I think that would maybe make Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer lean defensive end or whatever. But I think in general, for the betterment of this team over the next two to 10 years, Trey Lance at 14, Trey Lance at 11, Trey Lance at 10 would be much better than even if you hit a home run on an edge rusher. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and Soda Stick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. 
Hey everyone, we have a new special offer to tell you about with our friends at Symbol. If you go to Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P, and sign up as a first-time user with a $20 deposit into Symbol using the promo code PURPLE, you will receive six months free of premium Purple Insider written content at purpleinsider.substack.com. So go to Symbol.app. Deposit $20 if you're a first-time user, six months free of our premium written content at Purple Insider. If you are not familiar yet with Symbol, it is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we are fully into draft season, you're going to want to get in now with your team before their stock rises. Here's how it works. You buy stock of teams, and when your teams win, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So check it out, Symbol.app. Follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange, and check out the marketplace for sports. Right. So this is a good point. Um, and I think we're just probably too far down the road for that, that if they mm-hmm. had drafted a quarterback in 2018, <clears throat> Lamar Jackson or 2019, <laughs> I don't know who, but if they had done that, maybe it would be Jordan Love. And then they were saying, oh, we've got to give Kirk this year, but we've got this other guy we're excited about. Maybe you could sell it. But if you're saying, no, the only way to save our jobs is to take this guy and then wait a year and then develop that guy because there's no guarantee how he's going to play his first year. Like, that's pretty tough to sell. Oh, yeah, you have to give us like three more years. Um, They are under contract. But in the NFL, I think we know that it's year to year, no matter how long your contract is. So uh, let me just get your takes on the other two picks that I had. Uh, Trey Smith from Tennessee, the guard, and Cameron Sample. How do you feel about those guys? PFF gave me really good grades. Trey Smith would be an awesome selection for the Vikings in that you've said that a lot of the Vikings blockers have taken like years to develop or just been flat out busts. that we've said it a lot with their defensive line, that they have a type and they like these projecty types. And clearly they like to move around guys position wise up front on offense, or they like the really athletic guys. Trey Smith doesn't look crazy athletic and he wouldn't be your classic zone blocking guard. Check out his pro day. He had a phenomenal pro day, explosive, really good in the three cone, the broad jump. So that to me kind of aligns with, we know that the Vikings do prioritize like measured athleticism and Trey land or Trey Smith from Tennessee has that. And he's super experienced red shirt, senior, like six, five, two, 25 or 325 very powerful so I think he would be probably the most like NFL ready blocker that the Vikings um, have drafted in the last three or four or five years and if we're kind of assuming the scenario that Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman are like we need someone right now Trey Smith in the third round would be fantastic that kind of feels where he's ultimately going to go there was some early, very early first-round buzz for him, but his film isn't tremendous. In round three, though, the athleticism, the experience, he played left tackle, he played center, he played right, he played like every position up front. Uh, I think that would be a really good pick. And Cameron Sample is very fascinating. I think being a later round selection, he would fit the Vikings prototype in that he can play up and down the line of scrimmage. It's like when I graded him, I was like, is he – a defensive tackle or an edge rusher? He's got a unique body. He's like six two and a half, like 275, um, very good with his hands. He mostly played on the edge of Tulane. But then at the Senior Bowl, he had one of the best performances of any defensive lineman, like facing centers, facing guards, very good with his hands. And he's a pretty good athlete. So I think he would be that movable chess piece for Mike Zimmer that he seems to like. That if you're not getting a Donnell Hunter that's 6'5", 265, and a built like a Greek god, get someone that is truly versatile and is pretty polished. That's Cameron Sample. So I really like that three-round or, or three-pick draft sim just as much as PFF did. Yeah, they gave me an A. So it's uh, good job, man. If you draft a quarterback, you usually get an A either way. They love Um, positional value, which I don't blame them. They should. Uh, But Cameron Sample, yes, I I felt very draft guy being like, I remember him in the senior bowl being kind of a Mm -hmm. beast. And the Vikings at their best did have undersized three techniques who were getting after the passer, specifically Tom Johnson was about that size and was a similar type of guy. So Maybe, maybe that's somebody that they look at. Uh, okay, so you wrote two different things that I want to talk about. 
Um, since we just talked about quarterbacks, let's save that till the end. Cause I think it's kind of fun and I want to harass you about it, but okay, um, let's hear it. wide receivers though, you wrote about wide receivers and uh, as conductor of the wide receiver three train for the Vikings, I am also realistic about the fact that they probably wouldn't take a wide receiver in the first round. If Trey Lance isn't there, we're, we're talking about the heavy, heavy favorites being offensive line and defensive line. But uh, as we get into the third round, I think that there could be a lot of different uh, types of receivers for the Vikings. So I want to talk about the top guys first, and then we'll talk about like, down the board players who could fit into more role players. So when you compare your Jalen Waddell and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith stylistically is what you wrote about, what is the difference between these three guys who are all considered the elite prospects? Just the fact that they are truly elite in all of the areas that I think are super important to be a good wide receiver in today's NFL. They're twitchy. They, for the most part, can beat press at the line. College receivers don't see it nearly as much as they do in the NFL. They play much bigger than their size, elite uh, verticals, ball tracking ability. And then I think with Waddle, what separates him for me is I think he's a easier projection after the catch. Jamar Chase kind of is that A.J. Brown type that's going to be tough to bring to the turf. But Jalen Waddell, it's like electric in terms of his – I mean, he's a great returner. So you know that he's very good in space. That really is what separates them is they – I've said this 50 times during the pre-draft process. They check all the boxes. They're a little bit different, though. Like, I I, I think Jalen Waddell is, is actually very similar to Tyreek Hill. Speed plays a lot bigger. will go up and get it. Devontae Smith is this flexible, elastic guy that's always open, plays big. And then Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, Chris Godwin type. So the top three actually are a little bit similar stylistically, and that's why they're all uh, you know, just a clear head above everyone else in this really good wide receiver class. If you're ranking the things that you look at, and I know that you have an actual mm-hmm. ranking for how you do yeah. your grades, uh, give me like your top three things that you weigh the most when you're trying to figure out is a guy going to be, you know, a next level top notch player? Is he going to be just okay? Maybe you don't really see it. Like what, what are your skills that are most translatable in your opinion? My heaviest weighted category for wide receivers uh, is a, a category that's called releases and separation. So that's kind of two things tied into one, but I think you need to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. And the one thing, and probably it's super nitpicky, but probably why Jamar Chase is my number two receiver right behind Jalen Waddell is when you watch Jamar Chase in 2019, his main method to beat press is like he literally bench presses the cornerback. Like he's so strong. And to do that in the SEC, to do it against Trevon Diggs from Alabama, it's like, wow, like that, you never see that. Do I think he's going to be able to do that as much in the NFL? Probably not. I think Jalen Waddell is better beating press and then just being able to create separation. And that can be with quickness that is kind of baked in if they're really fast and they can create vertically. That's the most important. We know that in today's NFL, it's transitioned to a separation-based league. After that, yards after the catch. Even if you can't really separate a ton, if you're dynamic after the catch with your athleticism, with your vision, your contact balance, we've kind of seen with, again, to reference A.J. Brown, uh, that, that's kind of the new age, the uh, Debo Samuel, the DJ Moore. They, they're not like crazy, crazy separators, but once they get the ball, they truly are running backs. That's my second highest weighted category at wide receiver. And then I still think ball skills matter. I still think the ability to track the football, contort your body on a back shoulder, uh, go up and get it in those contested cut situations. I have that as my third highest or heavily weighted category just ahead of speed. Like I think speed's important but it's kind of a luxury. If we would have had the combine, we would have heard all about receivers and corners that, hey, if, if you're going to go in the first round, you have to run like sub 4-4 in today's NFL. I think it helps. And that's, I mean, I, I have Jalen Waddell with the highest speed score, but that's actually my fourth highest graded. And then size. So that's like my whole gamut of the grading system at the wide receiver spot releases then yak then ball skills yeah i think the releases to me are incredibly important because the nfl does play so much press and because the corners are also technicians and their Mm -hmm. minds work as quickly as their bodies and they all run four threes and they're all strong and everything else so unless you're julio jones size or aj brown or dk metcalf strength 
it is really tough to just push those guys off the spot. And usually they can recover too, because usually they're technically very sound too. Uh, and so if you can create any sort of separation at the release, this is what makes Stefan Diggs great. This is what made say someone like Doug Baldwin really good. If you are not that freak in terms of strength releases right up there. And that kind of goes along with just foot quickness and, I have a bias here, having seen Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, and Adam Thielen. I I would have the ball skills second because those guys have tracked down more footballs that they shouldn't have caught over the last five years that I've been covering this team. And maybe it is just because those guys are special. But when I watch someone like Rashad Bateman, I know we talked about him a bit last week, but I see a special ability to track the football in the air where you are adjusting yourself before the defender is adjusting himself because you understand where that ball is coming down. And the all-time greatest at this, who always got most credit for his speed, but his ball tracking ability was the all-time great, is Randy Moss. That Randy Moss knew how to make it look like the ball wasn't even coming his way and then just reach out and snatch it. Like he was so confident in where that ball was going to be that he didn't have to turn his body all the way around. He could just peek back and then reach out and grab it. And it was unstoppable. I think it was one of the best parts, if not the best part of his game. So that's that's very high for me, recognizing that part of it is shaped by watching these wide receivers. Yeah, you've definitely had quite the wide receiver experience covering the Vikings recently, and then obviously with the legend, Randy Moss. The one thing I will say, like the last thing about ball skills, is that I think it's easy to think like, oh, ball skills for a wide receiver just means like, can they go up and bring down those rebounds in the contested catch situations? A lot of what you just said, I think, hits the nail on the head that how I look at it, while that's important, while that's flashy, it's the ability to just track the football and make like difficult catches, maybe not where a corner is draped on you, but it's a little bit low. You're running an outbreaking route. You're waiting for the football and you see it's low. You need to dive for it. Uh, you need to get your feet inbounds while you're catching a pass that's above your head where you have to extend your arms. Like ball skills, I think are pretty natural. I think you either have them or you don't. And just literally tracking it, being aware, like, oh, like that ball is right here. It's on me as I turn my head around. Some receivers react a tick late and they drop a lot of passes. And then guys like you mentioned, Randy Moss, Diggs, Thielen, uh, that they are just naturally comfortable when the ball is arriving and can contort their bodies and they just come down with the football in any situation. I think it's what's made Adam Thielen a star because he's not, mm-hmm. not that fast. Um, even his separation ability, he's a route running technician, but I don't think it was on the level of someone like Stefan Diggs. But if you throw the ball anywhere, we talk about catch radius. Like this is what really falls into catch radius for me yeah. is how much you can change what your body needs to do. And even the location, like if you just run the routes, how they're drawn up, you're not going to catch that many footballs. Like no one is that perfect as a quarterback, even Tom Brady, where you don't have to start adjusting your body. And I think that, you know, that's what makes the best of the best really, really good. Now let's talk about the next wave after that. So we discussed Bateman and we both like Bateman quite a bit. He does a lot of things really well. Who else is in that conversation? I will admit that after watching uh, Rondell Moore and then looking at his pro day numbers, I'm really excited about Rondell Moore, even though he's five foot tall, but there are few players who are that explosive, even at the NFL level. And I, I think that he sort of tops this list of the next level beyond the elite guys. Yeah, I agree. I think that next year I have Rashad Bateman and Rondell Moore, like, squarely inside my first round, totally different receivers. The point about Rondell Moore, when I graded him, I was like, this is a top 25 talent in this class. Like I I wasn't factoring an injury and I'm not going to factor an injury because I don't know anything about his medical history. I'm not going to be a projecting of injury proneness, whatever that is. Once he gets to the NFL, he is five foot seven, but you're right. He is arguably, he's up there very close, if not just as good in terms of his explosiveness with Jalen Waddle, Like he catches a football and he is shot out of a cannon. What I like about him and anyone that is concerned that he's Tavon Austin 2.0, he's like 5'7", like 185. He's built like just a like miniature running back. And he doesn't just win with his explosiveness. He is amazing with his contact balance. You can watch any season, 2018, 2019, or 2020. You can watch any game with Rondell Moore in it. 
And you'll notice, man, this guy's fast. He's twitchy. But, like, he is like a pinball out there. And that's why he's graded so high for me because I have yards after the catch second. No, he doesn't have a big catch radius. I think he's got pretty good hands. But being able to get open and create after the catch and not just turn a five-yard gain into a 15-yard gain, but turn a five-yard gain into a 45-yard gain. That's why I think Rondale Moore will still probably go in the first round. And if he gets into the second, any team that picks him there, I think would be very smart to do so, and that would represent gigantic value. So I think for as much as the top three are really, really elite, and there's a decently large gap, I think Bateman and Moore, and then even Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, I think are in that next tier. Totally different receivers, but can be like instant impact and then just really good for the first three to five, seven seasons that they're in the NFL. What do you think about the playmaker as where they stand in the NFL now? Because that's how I look at Rondell Moore. And I feel like it's something that gets talked about a lot, but there are very few people who can really make a difference with it. And yet I still believe that he is so unique and special that he can make a difference with it where you're not going to necessarily put him at X wide receiver and run deep posts with him. You got to get the football in his hands, which requires some creativity from an offensive coordinator, some specific planning to get the football in his hands. But I also think that, I mean, maybe is there like a Percy Harvin type of comp here? I mean, Percy Harvin is maybe an all time explosive talent, but I see a little bit of that when it's just that special, he immediately just blows everybody else away with his quickness and speed around him. Yeah, I think the offensive weapon or the gadget type is in a better spot than it was five to ten years ago. Do I think, like, a team is going to just totally, like, uh, focus their offense around Rondell Moore? Not necessarily, and we've probably not. We've seen a lot of teams that have one explosive player. They get some touches. They're low-volume but high-efficiency players. You still need to be able to run routes, and I think Rondell Moore can just because of how explosive he is. Even if it's from the slot, he can get open. Uh, on maybe not 15 different routes, but enough where you don't have to just give him a jet sweep. It's funny you bring up Percy Harvin because I think with the Jaguars' second pick in round one, I think that that Rondell Moore, Urban Meyer, Percy Harvin connection would be tremendous. They have LaVisca Chenault, who's not quite as explosive, but he's kind of a, a contact balance running back type at wide receiver. He could fill that Percy Harvin role under Urban Meyer, but I think Rondell Moore landing there with the Jaguars would make a lot of sense. And I do see a lot of Percy Harvin in his game. And I do think one last thing, the fact that the Chiefs have shown with Tyreek Hill, like that you can have a player that is a high volume part of your offense that is getting the football on jet sweeps, on screens, you're throwing deep to him just on a simple go route. They certainly have Travis Kelsey. That's why the offense is so good. But as the Chiefs, especially in the second half of 2020, started to use Tyree Kill like as a gadget type more than, hey, run these seven routes this game. They were just getting him the football and letting him create. That's the blueprint for someone like Rondale Moore. Hey, everyone. Anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose the ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. I also don't think it's crazy at, what are they picking? Winners, uh, Kansas City, 31. Um, Mm -hmm. Kansas City is also maybe on the board there for Ronda Moore. You know, it's sort of weird to say, oh, they have these elite playmakers. Well, two of them, but after Sammy Watkins had his injury issues and his inconsistency, I thought that that hurt them. And especially in the Super Bowl, which is they view everything through the lens of how can we win the Super Bowl, needing another guy who could create explosive plays consistently, unlike uh, Hardman, who doesn't really do it. Robinson doesn't really do it for them. Not consistently like a Rondell Moore potentially would. Now move me down the board a little bit here, because I think that the Vikings, you know, most possible thing to do is take defensive end or take off its tackle in the first, but in the third, it's very much up in the air. I mean, they literally could go best player available here and they could look at it and say, we really can't have Chad Beebe as our number three wide receiver. We don't want to spend a first on this, but it's a deep class. So who's in the third. And so, so give me your sort of sense for the late second, third round wide receivers. And if anyone there could be special, I'll give you a name to start with that I like, which is Jalen. Darden from North Texas because you know why Chris and this is draft season for you his highlight reel is fun as hell that's why that's the reason yeah he kind of is a Rondell Moore light type of prospect in that he's small but he's a gadget type they threw him they use like really wide splits at North Texas and just literally like threw him like a 15 yard pass across the field and then just let him run down the sideline he's that fast um, so I, are you th- like, let me ask you, are you thinking that that's the type of player that the Vikings want? Because the recent article that I wrote was like different types of right. wide receivers. And, and there are like, there's bigger types. There's Nico Collins from Michigan, who's six, four Tamori and Terry from Florida state. Diami Brown from North Carolina is kind of the, uh, more highly sought after vertical threat. Not going to run a lot of routes, not a lot of yak. Uh, but then there are those. Jalen Darden, Cade Johnson from South Dakota State, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, uh, even Shai Smith from South Carolina. Those are all the types. And my favorite, Daz Newsom from North Carolina, that are all like in the slot, get open in a hurry, short underneath, which I think would be good for Kirk Cousins. Uh, so it just kind of depends on what type you want, especially if you're picking in the third or the fourth round going wide receiver there. You're right. I got overly excited to talk more about Jalen Darden, but a good point that, you know, there are plenty of different types and I'm not sure exactly to tell you the truth, Chris. I mean, because do you want somebody who could take over for Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson in case of injury, or do you want somebody that specifically has a role? This team has not really had a spot for playmaker since 2016 with Cordero Patterson. They have just not had that type of guy, but I wonder if that's because they didn't want to spend a draft pick on them and couldn't afford them in free agency. I mean, once upon a time, they picked up Kendall Wright. Last year, they tried Tajay Sharp. Like, these guys are just, they're not even really a type. They're just not good. Um, So I don't know. I don't know which one fits better. I I feel like the playmaker guy, the guy who can either be a a deep threat or the end-around type of guy, is a better fit for them. So like those guys, I think would be something that they could use maybe 50 targets a season for until, you know, we go forward and maybe Adam Thielen falls off or something like that. Okay. So I do have that exact type in the article and the type is explosive gadget types with downfield appeal. I tried to get really creative with those titles. I'll give you four guys. You already listened to one, Jalen Darden. 
and that is a player that Vikings fans need to familiarize themselves with. But three others that I think are very similar but fit exactly what you just described. A lot of people know about Tutu Atwell from Louisville. He's tiny, and I don't really even think he's that sudden and, like, he's not going to juke out an entire defense down the field, but he is super fast. Like, get him on a decently well-blocked, jet sweep or a play where the defense just isn't ready for that, he will score a 90-yard touchdown. He didn't actually have a crazy pro day, but he is one that's like faster on the field. So I think if you want to create that Corderell Patterson type, not the same size, of course, Tutu Atwell, third, fourth, fifth round range, he would be a target. And then a similar player who's actually a tick bigger, Marquez Stevenson from Houston. He's slender. He's not, uh, again, he someone that is, is a jump cut kind of guy, but crazy fast. And I think he's a little bit more well-rounded of a wide receiver than Tutu Atwell. He's graded a little bit higher for me. Uh, got injured a little bit at Houston, but another one that can take the lid off the defense. And we know, despite not having a big arm, Kirk Cousins has been one of the more accurate downfield passers. So if they want to dink and dunk and dink and dunk with Thielen and Jefferson and then go over the top, Tutu Atwell or Marquez Stevenson, or Jalen Darden would be good. And the last one, Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa. I don't think he's quite as explosive. Maybe just playing in the Big Ten, Iowa, it's not surprising. But was actually used a lot on jet sweeps, go routes, bubble screens. I think he actually is more creative after the catch than Stevenson and Atwell. He can make some guys miss. And then he has that extra gear down the field. They're all like... 5'9", 185, which I'm completely fine with that size at that gadget or explosive playmaker type. So those four, I think round three to round five should all be on the board. And it it wouldn't shock me because I know that you know exactly what the Vikings needs are and the types if one of those receivers ultimately get drafted by the Vikings in this draft. And I'm not sure how much it matters to them how tall the guy is. I mean, Chad Beebe mm-hmm. is five foot ten, and he's the mm-hmm. guy who's their current number three wide receiver. All right, before we finish this Chris Trapasso draft show presented by Victory Home Team, uh, let's talk about your article about the all-time great quarterback prospects. And I'm just going to spoil here that you had Trevor Lawrence at the top of the list, which makes you a crazy person, I think. So you're going to have to explain that. The all-time quarterback prospect list, this guy this year, Trevor Lawrence to the Jacksonville Jaguars, is at the top. Explain it to me, Chris. Okay, I'll explain by going backwards. I had Peyton Manning at number four, and and, and I did the cheesy, proverbial Mount Rushmore of quarterback prospects. Apparently in like 1971, like Jim Plunkett was like the guy, but I I didn't want to go back to 1971. The league has changed too much, and I haven't really heard that name continued on as this legendary prospect. I won Peyton Manning at four because even reading, and I found this amazing Peter King profile of the 1998 draft where like Bill Walsh and I believe Mike Shanahan and one other guy, like he just asked them what they thought about Manning and Leaf. And it was crazy that like they were like, it was not, exactly a toss-up but it wasn't like 90% Manning 10% Leaf it was like Leaf is could be better than Manning obviously there was off field and mental stuff that went into that but Manning was even for 1998 was not considered a great athlete for the quarterback position I know it was more of a pocket passing league and even from that article and doing other research like there were some uh, critiques about his arm strength like he Super cerebral, super accurate, uh, but he was like middling as an athlete and not and didn't have a great arm. So he was four because of those reasons. Number three, I had John Elway, and that was because of all the diva stuff off field, like all the I'm not going here, and it looks like I'm going to have to play for the Yankees because the Colts picked me. The injection of his dad kind of being even more of an a-hole, like, hey, we're not going there. We're not playing for the Colts. And that rubbed people the wrong way, apparently. Like that 30 for 30 Elway to Marino was tremendous. Mm -hmm. And in that, I couldn't couldn't find it. But in that documentary, there was like, it would be insane to hear this now, a interview like of Terry Bradshaw, who was a quarterback in the league then, and was just like, I don't like this Elway kid. Who does he think he is? I think he's going to be terrible. Just super candid. Mm -hmm. So I think for everything that Elway brought from his athleticism, 
which obviously translated to the baseball field, how quick he was, his rocket of an arm, pretty accurate. That's why he was number three. Because number two, Andrew Luck did not have any of those concerns. And I think stacking up, especially from two or from the same program, Elway raised the Stanford Cardinal program in the early 80s. Andrew Luck did the same thing with that program 25 years later, 20 whatever it was. Didn't have the off-field stuff, was a great athlete. We saw at the Combine that after the year after Cam Newton like had a crazy workout. Like Andrew Lux was like as good as Cam Newton's, and he was very big. And I went with Trevor Lawrence at number one because no off-field or diva concerns, whatever you want to call them. And this was like super nitpicky. I almost went Luck number one because, again, he was a great athlete. I think Lawrence is actually a more sudden athlete. Then Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck was bulkier, and that probably played into it. But a couple of those long runs that Trevor Lawrence has had in college, like against Ohio State two years ago, it was like, wow. Like, that was a 60-yard touchdown from the number one overall pick. Like, that was insane. And the fact, and this is the ultra nitpicky draft analyst thing, Trevor Lawrence is a full year younger than Andrew Luck was when he entered the NFL. Like, Luck turned 23 in his rookie season. Trevor Lawrence is going to turn 22. So we know that even after 2011, which would have been crazy, Andrew Luck could have left Stanford and would have competed with Cam Newton to be the first overall pick. Who knows what what would have happened? I think Luck probably would have gone number one overall to the Panthers. But we're kind of comparing somewhat apples to oranges because Trevor Lawrence was like 18, 19 years old when Andrew Luck was redshirting. So that was like the two things, a little bit more suddenness, and a little bit younger. Maybe Luck was slightly more polished as a passer, but I think a lot of what Lawrence does on the field as a passer, you're not going to really nitpick that too much because the ball placement, the arm talent, the big game throws, tight window throws as well. So it, I went into it not sure what I was going to do. And after research, I'm like, I think actually Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect the last 40 years. So tell me why I'm wrong. Well, uh, Mike Renner also said, since he's been doing this, our friend Mike Renner from PFF, that he's by far the best prospect, that he has also analyzed Trevor Lawrence. So I don't think you're completely on an island. Um, well, the only thing that I was going to say is just like with Peyton Manning, but there was competition in, in Ryan Leaf, no question. With Peyton Manning, there felt like an e- inevitability that he would be a great quarterback. Like there was maybe, the, I, I don't know, may, I, maybe I'm too young to remember some of the questions that were brought up at that time. I just remember feeling like even NFL broadcasts were talking about my gosh, when when Manning gets to this league, he's just going to completely take it over. And second year in, he did and never stopped pretty much. Even when he was garbage at the end, he still wins the Super Bowl, right? So, um, you know, here was my question, though. Did you consider including anybody who was not good? Because Mel Kuyper, when the Jamarcus Russell thing, was calling him the best prospect that he had ever seen. And uh, now there's also the other one that I would have maybe considered on my list because of his athletic ability, Michael Vick. That is the guy that I remember watching in college thinking, I can't believe what this guy's going to do to the NFL. Like I've never seen someone with the combination of Barry Sanders speed and God arm who could throw it out of the stadium, right? In that commercial, uh, which I know was not real, but I'm just saying (laughs) I, 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 those were my two things. Like did Mike Vick come into your mind here? And did you consider anyone who actually didn't work out? I didn't. And I should have my editors kind of pitch it to me. Like, how does he compare to Elway Manning? And luck, and that's kind of what the the low hanging fruit has been. Like, how does he compare to them? But I probably should have considered some like prospects who didn't work out. And that's the thing on this on Twitter and stuff, which I'm fine with getting any comments. People like are using hindsight, and that's it, it was really. And I put it in the intro, like this is just how they were as prospects. But you're right, Jamarcus Russell. I even think Robert Griffin the third was super hyped he just happened to be in that same draft class as Andrew Luck like accuracy arm strength super athletic fast like was a track guy I could have included someone else like and I think Mike Vick probably or RG3 would have been that guy but I think the one thing with Vick was that I if I remember correctly I was let's see he was in the 2001 draft was 13 years old 
was that like people knew that he wasn't that great of a passer. Like he was mm-hmm. not very accurate. Like he he could throw it seventy yards on a dime for a big play, but like a dig route, he would two out of three times, you know, throw it over the guy's head. But I do remember feeling the exact same way you did, being like, oh, my God, this guy is going to run for a 1,000 yards every season, and he was an insane runner. And I do think that there is something that speaks to the fact that Vic played as long as he did and had the layoff with the dog fighting thing and came back and then played for like 10 more years after that was really remarkable. So he would probably be up there in the top five to seven quarterback prospects of all time, I think. Maybe Jamarcus Russell, too, because there certainly was insane hype for him. But I didn't consider that. Maybe if I have to write this again, if, like, Spencer Rattler is this huge prospect in 2022, I'll say, like, okay, a few of these prospects were bad, but before the draft, people adored them. Yeah, there was a couple other that came to mind for me. Uh, Jameis Winston had the clear off-field issue, but everything not off-field – remember him being talked about as a generational talent. And they even talked about, I mean, this has not come to fruition at all, but they talked about, oh, his X's and O's ability is unbelievable. He sees the game unlike anybody else. And I mean, hey, like you're an NFL quarterback still, but you also threw 31 interceptions. So that's not the case. But when he, think about how good you have to be for teams to overlook his personality off the field to still take him number one overall. I think that says a lot about him as a prospect aside from that off-field part. Yeah, Jameis would have been a good one too. Uh, And there was so much to, even though that was kind of at the precipice of when we were getting away from pro-style offense in college. But I think back in 2015, it was like, yeah, like you want someone from Jimbo Fisher's like drop-back system that's read the whole field. So there definitely was, and that was kind of like a weird conundrum that like, oh, he's this immature kid, but, like, on the field, he's, like, even further ahead of where Andrew Luck was in terms of the mental side. And then he had the physical makeup, and to check a Trevor Lawrence box, he was amazing as a freshman, like, just exploded onto the scene and was a marquee quarterback for those two seasons at Florida State. Uh, So, yeah, Jameis probably is up there, too, top five to seven to eight, somewhere in that range. And I think he was a deceptive runner, too. We know he wasn't a crazy athlete but he could get out of a jam and and pick up a third and six with his legs so yeah Jameis was definitely a very highly touted like guaranteed to go number one overall prospect for many years when he was at Florida State the one other one that came to mind was Carson Palmer where USC was at the absolute top of their game and he was you know just unbelievable with the arm strength the size the prototypical quarterback everything you dream of and he would be that so um yeah i mean i think that your list is the guys that immediately come to mind and it's a really interesting comparison of how trevor lawrence doesn't have some of those red flags uh, that even the greatest quarterback prospects of all time had uh which hey you know jeremy shap is right about one thing that they don't always work out that is true <laughs> i saw um, that video <laughs> What are you doing, man? If if you didn't see it, don't bother. It's ridiculous. So anyway, yeah, you should just pick a linebacker at number one overall. I don't know. I think you should just draft only quarterbacks who are in the sixth round, named Tom Brady, and that's the only way you should go about it. I think. Yeah. So anyway, well, that's uh, that's draft season for you. Anyway, Chris Trapasso draft show. Another great episode. Your podcast is the prospect podcast your work is at cbssports.com and it is terrific so we will do this again next monday and we will be one week closer to the actual nfl draft happening thank god one last question do you think the vikings make 11 picks i think they make more More. If if i had to bet on history they usually make more picks than they have they usually trade down in the middle rounds and they'll get they lost a pick from screwing around with a practice squad player or something last year. They'll get that pick back. It'll, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about after the draft. Oh too. Yeah. it's gonna be a blast. Oh yes, oh yes. Whether they take somebody who's really really exciting in day one, or whether they take fifteen guys on day three that you need to explain to me who they are, because this always <laughs> this always happens where I'm like. Lance Zierlein didn't even profile this guy. How am I supposed to like, there's not even a YouTube highlight. Is this guy real? Well, that's the thing. I'm doing the live draft grades for CBS sports for the third year in a row, like from rounds two to round seven. 
And for me, it's like nervous time once we get to round six. And the Vikings and the Patriots are like the two teams where I'm like, they're about to draft some guy where I'm like, I didn't scout this guy. Like I've watched 300 plus guys, <laughs> write-ups, grades, my grading system, weighted, all that. And then I'm like, who's that? Like the Vikings are, are a team that I've pegged along with the Patriots yep. that are notorious for picking like a Wyoming linebacker that no one knows or a off the draft radar offensive lineman or a wide receiver in the seventh round. And I'm just like, oh man, I need to like scramble to get something out there for a grade. So you didn't have uh, that, Kyle Hinton toward the top of your. I did not round? have Kyle Hinton last year. <laughs> that was one. And I just was looking at the Vikings draft history and saw, I was like, man, that pick was like oh it, like wasn't it one of the last picks in the draft last year it was where that was like yes. off the radar I, and that's one where are the vikings just like hey where's an offensive lineman just just pick one they have a little drop down on their <laughs> computer kyle hinton okay let's pick him like hopefully that doesn't happen too much and hopefully there aren't too many prospects that i have not watched or graded but we'll definitely have a lot to talk about even if it is only 11 picks but if it's 12 or 13 Plenty of content possibilities. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Prepare yourself for specialists as well. There will be a kicker. There might be a long snapper. So we'll see. Uh, Chris, great stuff, and we will talk again soon. Thanks, Matt.